Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Flora Shaw, and this is Science Montessori and Parenting. So I know it's been a while since our last episode, and I do apologize. Things have been pretty busy around here at White Paper Press. In January, we published Volume 4 of the Montessori White Papers, Digital Technologies and Development. If you want to know what the research really tells us about digital technologies and their impact on development, I highly recommend this volume. And keep in mind that the message in this volume is not pro-technology and nor is it technology is evil. It simply is technology is, and this is what we know. I mean, whether we like it or not, technology is a part of our society. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And Montessori is about adaptation. So the question is, how do we help our children to adapt in a good and healthy way? This volume will tell you how. To purchase Volume 4, you can go to our website at www.whitepaperpress.us and you can find some links to the Amazon paperback and Kindle versions of Volume 4. Alternatively, you can opt to become a monthly member of our website for $4.95 a month. That's an individual subscription that gives you access to the Montessori White Papers as they are published in the form of blog posts. You don't get to download them, but you do get to read them as they are published. And keep in mind that your individual subscriber membership also supports the creation of this very podcast. So a big thanks to my individual subscribers now. And also to my organizational subscribers, as you know, you've had access to these white papers since they've been published. Uh, you have access to them in PDF and Word formats. These papers are both a parent education tool as well as a teacher education tool. So you can use them for all of your parent educationals. You can use them to attract families. You can use them to retain families. And when you subscribe, I will tell you how. All right, moving on to other news. If you are a member of our Science Montessori and Parenting Facebook group, you may have heard about the brainstorming tour. This is a speaking tour that I am doing with Dr. Stephen Hughes. If you haven't heard about the tour, well, you need to go to our website to find out more. It's www.brainstormingtour.com. It starts in a couple of weeks in Europe and will be touring North America in the fall. In fact, we've had a ton of inquiries from schools and training centers in North America wanting to host a brainstorming tour. So if you are also interested in hosting the brainstorming tour, please contact us again via our website at www.brainstormingtour.com. And of course, you're probably wondering what we're talking about on this tour. Well, we're talking about education and we're talking about the need to change the paradigm of education for us to see education in a completely new way. Conventional education has been designing schools from a born to think perspective, and that forces all of us to focus on improving test scores. But it's a disembodied perspective and it ignores what developmental neuroscience tells us about how humans develop. So cognition, thinking, is an extension of the motor system. And in fact, we're born to move, not born to think. So we're going to talk about what this means for education. And finally, just to note that I will be in Australia next week for the Montessori Australia Foundation's Early Childhood Education Conference. So if you are a listener from Australia, 
I really hope that I will see you there. All right, so I think that's it for the announcements. So let's talk about this episode of Science Montessori and Parenting. I had the opportunity to sit down with Sarah Mudry at the AMI USA Refresher Course in February. For those of you who don't know Sarah, she is a Montessori trained teacher. She is a mother of three children. She is an entrepreneur. She is a designer. She is the founder and owner of Studio June, which is a first of its kind early educational studio for young children and their parents. That's located in Houston. If you're in the Houston area, you need to check out Studio June. If you're not in the Houston area, you need to send multiple emails to Sarah demanding one in your city. Just email her. Demand it. But the reason you need to demand it is because Sarah's not like your typical parenting expert, okay? She's not providing these sort of black and white prescriptions like just do this in every single situation because, you know, parenting doesn't work like that. Children don't work like that. Development doesn't work that way. Sarah really understands this. And so she takes a very contextual approach, a very personalized approach with each of her families. And she's not just preparing an environment for the children. She is preparing an environment for the entire family. And that is an environment of compassion and no judgment. And I think we can all agree that parents could use a little less judgment. So without further ado, I present you with Sarah Mudry. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? What, what do you want us to know about you? I run Studio June, which mm -hmm. is a parent-child education center in Houston, Texas, and we are a place where parents can come and learn about Montessori education mm -hmm. and Montessori philosophy and how it relates to their lives and how they can incorporate it into their daily life and their children come and have a great time. And parents learn parenting skills and they learn if they want to look for a Montessori school or if they want to homeschool and they want to incorporate what they've learned in Montessori into that. So how do you do the classes there? How do, how do you convey? That's a lot of information to convey to parents, which I think is fantastic. It is. I think every city should have a studio June, so work on that. Um, <laughs> but how, how do you convey that information uh, to parents? Like what, what, when, they're, when they go to your website, what sort of classes are they signing up for? So we start as early as eight weeks. So parents can sign up for a class with their child, with their eight-week-old, uh, we have classes for infants, and then we have classes for children who are just starting to move and learn to crawl and walk. And then we have classes for what we call young children. Often in our community, in our culture, we call them toddlers. So those are children 14 months to three years. And then we have classes for parents and their children between the ages of three to six. We really age out at six. I don't oh, wow. think we have anyone in the studio that's older than that. I work with parents who have children that are older than that, but as far as children in the studio. So parents can sign up for all of those classes from our website. As far as how they get information, we have so many families that come to us who maybe they don't even know that they're Montessori classes. It does say it on the website, but sometimes they just sign up because they've heard from another mom this is a great class. I learned so much. And so they sign up. And then when they get there, they learn that everything is based on the Montessori philosophy. And that's what guides the decisions of what goes into the classroom. We have a very curated collection of toys and materials that we offer to the family. So they come in and we let them know 
usually just through talking. I mean, they get email communication from our newsletter as soon as they sign up. And actually anyone can sign up for a newsletter and get tips on what to do at home or everything from how do you handle a tantrum to how to pick up vegetables with your child. We, we have all sorts of tips that we offer through our, our newsletter. So we, and they can access, they can get on the mailing list for that yeah. for, uh, through your website, right? Yes. So These, what's, what's the website? <laughs> the website is www.thestudiojune.com. So that's T-H-E-S-T-U-D-I-O-J-U-N-E.com. Okay. And we'll put that up in the show notes, also a link. <laughs> So when families come in, um, they have a trained Montessori instructor in their class, and that instructor is there to facilitate, um, not necessarily to give direct presentations to their child or to them, but to facilitate what's happening in the class. So that trained instructor uh, comes with them, brings with them their understanding of Montessori philosophy, and then um, they see it as their job to help parents understand the materials their child are, is using, or how to interact with their child within a prepared environment, how the activity that their child is doing at that time can be translated into something at home. We work a lot, especially in the young children's class, especially in the toddler's class. You can use whichever one you want. Yeah, I have a little bit of an issue with the word toddler just because we don't describe any other group of people by the way they move. And so that's a good point when, and I do use the word toddler because it, it translates well in our culture. People know exactly what you mean when you say toddler, but I, I would really like it if as a culture, if we could move away from describing them, how they move. So I call them young children. So in our young children's class, we work a lot on helping parents understand kind of the beginning, middle and end of every activity that is in our lives. That, that, that that's important to understand as humans, that when we start something, we work through it and then we put it away and then we feel oh, like I've done it mm-hmm. and that children need to feel that too. And so we can help them through that process. And when we're doing that with children under the age of three, we're really helping them lay this foundation of this is who they are. They are capable of choosing something, of working through it and then completing it and putting it away and and moving on to the next thing to make another choice. And this foundation is so important. If we think of just that little cycle of activity that they're doing, how does that translate for the rest of their lives? You know, I always try and help parents think, well, when they're 24, what choice will they make in their life that you want them to feel like they can, they're capable of making that choice they're capable of seeing it through and feeling completion in the end and feeling that complete, I, I've completed this and now I'm ready to move on to the next thing in my life. That doesn't mean that we feel we've done our best at every activity or every choice that we make. But when we can make a choice and see it through and then move on, it makes your next choice so much more informed. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I help parents understand that that's what we're doing right now. Before they're three, we're helping them feel that sense of, I can do this and then I can move on. That is something that becomes automatic for them. It's developing that really early on. And then particularly if they end up in Montessori education, 
if they go to a Montessori school after they leave Studio June, right, and they continue, it's constant practice of exactly that. It becomes very automatic for them to be able to choose, do, complete, move on. Yes, and not in a conscious way. Uh, and even once they come into consciousness, you know, after three and a half, four, five, we, you have a conscious child, they're still doing this cycle in an unconscious way. It's just part of who they are. So it's become how they relate with the world. It's become part of their expectation of others. And so it helps them to support others through it. If other, if they have friends that can't do that, especially in elementary, I see that with my own children right now, how they support each other through those tasks to finish them. Because, you know, we all have favorites, right? Like I would rather do this than that, um, but both have to be done. And so I, I really appreciate how my children, their teachers continue to support them to make these choices. And then, yes, you are welcome to read that novel, but this has to be done first. And they keep going back to that. So they're, they're getting the same message over and over again, that this is, a, this is something to be valued. And it, and it will be so helpful to them. There are so many projects I have had throughout my life that I think, oh, I wish I would have had the perseverance to stay with and, right. and complete. I mean, just as a human, I think that's how we do. But I always think, oh, if, what a gift to my children if I can help them to feel that confidence from, from early on, from right away, right. that they're capable. And what you're talking about, too, speaks to a myth about Montessori, which is that Children will only work on stuff that they want to work on. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Right. I do. You know, it's it's interesting. I don't, I think wanting to work on something, needing to work on something, liking to work on something, I think those are all different. Mm -hmm. And so I think partly that's our own perception. We, As parents, it's really easy to assume if our children like something or are enjoying something. You know, it's interesting because when I, most of the classes I teach now are up to a year old. So once they're walking, they age out of my classes and they go into the classes with our other teachers. So I really teach those, those new moms and those infants. That's where I spend most of my time. And um, sometimes in our infant class, a baby will be making sounds that sound like maybe the verge of crying or maybe they're like squishing their face up in a way that looks like maybe they're uncomfortable, but they're not in a full-on cry. It's not a cry of discomfort. It's, you know, you can see when they're in pain. It's not a, a cry of pain at all, but just maybe it's the cry of frustration or maybe, and I often tell parents, you know, they go to, to pick them up or to soothe them and um, I try and help them know that one, sometimes soothing can come from just our voice or words. We don't have to interrupt their concentration or their connection with whatever toy they're playing with. So one, I try and help parents find the words that could be soothing. But also, oftentimes I try and help parents to just step back a little bit and wait. Because sometimes babies use a tone of voice that if, if we as adults use that tone of voice, it would sound like we were complaining. But it's a huge leap for us to say we know that a baby is complaining because it sounds like whining or it sounds like, I, I just don't think we know that. Mm -hmm. I don't think we know what babies are thinking. And so I try and help parents to turn the sounds they're hearing into words in their head a little bit. So 
I always say, and I did this when my children were young, I try and imagine what words would be coming out. Like, oh my goodness, this is so much work. This is going to take a lot of effort from me right now. If I'm ever going to get this done, I better keep working at it. So I, <laughs> I imagine that the baby is saying these things instead of making the, the sounds of what we might consider frustration. And it helps parents to kind of connect a little bit in that moment. Like, they're not calling for you to stop what's happening, but they're letting you know they're working so hard. And sometimes this is what hard work sounds like. And so I know we were talking about older children, but I feel like it starts so young that we assume what they're saying. And, you know, I don't know about research on babies having different cries. I don't, I don't know about that research. I know that they do make different cries. I think it's a lot of pressure to tell a parent that they have to be able to identify those to meet a baby's needs. Oh, yeah. Um, so I don't bring that up often with families unless someone asks about it. We, we can talk through it. But I think if you hear your baby cry, yeah, you know, you want to kind of check in and listen carefully. You know, if you can see them visually and you want to see how are they working through this, it's one way that they communicate with us is through cries. They also coo. Uh, we respond much like with a smile to a coo, right? Then we do a cry. We, we get worried and our faces then go, you know, we make a facial expression of sadness and we know that babies will mirror the expression that they see on their parents' face. So I think as a parent of an infant, you have to be really careful to know how much of that is just a reflection of what I'm giving my child right now. And if you can just kind of be present with them and listen to them, but not, not make assumptions about what they're saying to you or, or what they're feeling, I think that starts very early. I really love what you're saying here. First of all, I have a couple of thoughts. One, it, it's always bothered me when parent experts claim to, to know what our children are thinking, what our infants are thinking, and they will tell parents what they're thinking. I remember being a new mom and watching some video of some parent expert, and she said, every time your baby cries, she is saying, Mommy, Daddy, where are you? And I thought, really? I love that you're saying we have to just listen, right? So even if research does provide, oh, if your baby's cry sounds like this or that, I, I think we can get caught up in that as opposed to really observing our own children, our own child, yes, and really reading their signs. And what you're saying is to not just reflexively react which we are kind of programmed to do. Right. Well, it's, it, that's really difficult. Part of, and I will speak for motherhood because I don't know fatherhood because I've never been a father. I know that they have the full range of emotions and connection to their child too. Uh, but I can only speak to what it feels like to be a mother. And it is really difficult, especially right after birth, when you know that your hormones your hormone levels are changing. If you're breastfeeding, your hormone levels are changing in a different way than if you are not breastfeeding. And so um, that prolactin is no longer produced in your body. Um, it's just different. There are a lot of hormones and your whole identity 
has changed. Mm-hmm. I think pregnancy is a great time to learn about being a parent. I always think of it as the sensitive period for parenting because it's when you want to read all about it and you want to get all prepared and you want to think of what are all the things that I'm going to need once this person is here in my life and and what is it going to be like? And you do a lot of daydreaming and then um, baby comes and you're a little overwhelmed with emotion and you know you've connected with this new person or not you're waiting for that part to happen and kick in you look different than you ever have in your life and however you want to embrace that that's life right like right. when you physically change that much over 10 months and then you have you know 8 hours of labor or 24 hours of labor however long your labor is And then you just look deflated all of a sudden and you think, oh my gosh. And you're not getting any sleep. And you're not getting any sleep and you're overwhelmed with how do I respond to this person who is absolutely dependent on me. That first, I mean, you have maybe had people depend on you before, but this is the first moment in time where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to keep this person alive. Seriously, (laughs) when when we left the hospital with our first child with Cedric, I turned to Greer and I thought, I cannot believe they just let us leave with this baby. I thought the same thing. What were they thinking? Yeah. No, we, when we buckled in Edison into the car seat and they said, okay, we'll we'll wheel you out, you know, in the wheelchair to your car. And I thought, they're just going to let us leave. (laughs) (laughs) They're just, they think we know what we're doing. And this is, for me, this is after two Montessori trainings and I'm like, I, I'm not qualified to take this person with me. <laughs> now, I was because, you know, I, I was ready to be a mom. But in the moment, absolutely did not feel ready. I actually think that that's what I don't I think that moment has contributed to what I do now, which is that feeling of I depend so much on my Montessori training, on understanding Montessori philosophy And I feel like that's an evolution. I'm still working on trying to understand it. There are bits and pieces that every once in a while I'll go, oh, I remember I read that from Dr. Montessori and that makes sense now. It's not like one day I just understood Montessori. I feel like it's a, it's it's still happening. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt like having worked as a teacher in Montessori and had two trainings and I depend on it so much. And I felt unprepared as a parent. But as I felt unprepared as a parent and I'm home with my infant and I put him in a floor bed to sleep, I felt like I knew that was the right choice for us. And I knew why I felt that was the right choice for us. But it was all it was all my training. It was all it was 250 hours of observing other people's children that helped me understand that. And I thought, if I felt unprepared, there are a lot of parents out there that don't have 250 hours of watching other people's children. Yeah, and so I, how I felt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I feel like, well, I can share with you. Let me share with you. It's not a secret. This, the, the things that we do at home to help empower our children, to help, um, help them feel independent, to help them calm themselves, to help them just be who they are, to express who they are. All of those things are guide. I use Montessori philosophy as my guide in those, you know. And so I feel like 
I could share that with other parents. And that's really what Studio June, Studio June came out of that. Like, well, let me share with you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pretend it's a secret. It's not. Um, there's some things about child development that you can understand that will really help you make choices. That doesn't mean that we're going to choose the same thing. But as long as we have this information, we're going to choose what's right for our family. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's, I, I've been working for a while on a parenting book, but not a how-to parent book, but more about what parents need to know about development so that they can make choices based on that information, right. choices that are best for their family, right? I, I think that there's there's too much, there are too many scripts for parents, yes. you know, scripts like your child is never acting out to get attention. Never. Really? Because (laughs) there are times when that can happen. Uh, And so therefore, you know, because they're never acting out to get attention, you may never leave them. You should never leave them alone when they're having big feelings and this type of thing. Uh, That they'll feel abandoned. They'll feel this. Again, you're telling me how my child is going to feel and you're making an assumption Right. It, that's a script. And every child is different and every family is different. Every context is different. Yes. So I'm, I'm very skeptical of these parenting scripts. Yeah, I think that's the difficult thing. You know, when people use phrases like, I know this isn't very Montessori. And I get this. I, I have to figure out, I think, how to change my language because sometimes... I get from a parent, I know you wouldn't approve because it's not very Montessori. And I think, no, I'm not judging. You make the choice that works for your family. I was just giving you the information that I have. I'm not judging what you choose. Yeah. And for families that choose to not incorporate Montessori into their lives, I don't judge that either. I'm saying this has worked for me in my life, and it's really helped a lot of families that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. When I can work with a mom to help her get through the routine of her day in a way that she feels accomplished. Or when I can help another mom make muffins (laughs) with their young child and they feel like we did that, we did that together. I feel like those are the things that I want to help with. I don't, and for another mom, you know, and it's interesting, like the whole judgment thing. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think we all just feel judged all the time. And I think we're we're kind of the worst on ourselves. Um, so I think as a, a mom, I judge myself first and then I assume everyone else is judging me too. Why not? I am. So right. um, everybody might as well be. <laughs> but I, I definitely feel like I'm not here to judge parents. I'm not here to say you should do this or you shouldn't do that. But I am here to say there are reasons to do some things and there are reasons to not do some things. And a lot of the information we give parents, you know, do the part you can. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not saying go home and change your whole house. I'm not saying even go into their bedroom and change the whole room. Maybe you just change one shelf. Maybe you just put five toys away. Those, there's little things that we do that improve life or our feeling of how we're parenting, it doesn't have to be an overhaul. And I feel like, you know, this feeling of, oh, now I have to change everything, or I've been doing this all wrong. You're not. You're not doing it wrong. You're a parent. You're with your child. That's great. Exactly. (laughs) You know, you're taking a class together. That's great. You, you know, 
even, you know, the families that don't take classes with us, um, we have a, a little library outside of Studio June. The little library is actually open to anyone putting books in. So I don't have a whole lot of control of what books are in there because the idea is you take a book, you give a book, right? So we have families that who do come to classes, they make it part of their day when they come to a class to stop at the little library and they choose a book and they choose, they've brought one from their own library at home. And so they contribute and, and we try and keep, keep that going. So all families have access to books. And then we, where we are located, we have a lot of families that just, we're, we're very close to a donut shop. So we have a lot of families that are just out for donuts and they'll stop by and, and pick out a book and we've got a little chair there and they sit and they read and sometimes they take the book and sometimes they leave the book. But in the little library is, our little library is literally little. It is maybe a foot and a half off the ground. It is. Wow. That's really little. (laughs) we, We want to send the message that the youngest children need books too. And so, and there's this little Adirondack chair next to it. So having that little place where we want to say to the community, take a moment with your child and look at a book or choose a book and take it with you. Or reading is really important with your child. And so even if on your outing for a donut, you read a 10-page book and you put it back, or if you just look at the pictures together, I feel like that's a contribution to each family that walks by Studio June. So we try and do that. We try and have opportunities for every family to have an opportunity to slow down and be in the moment. That's great. Let's talk about some sensitive topics for parents. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) We're not going to stay on the easy stuff, Laura? (laughs) No, we don't. Here at SMP, we we go hardcore, okay? Mm -hmm. Full on. So let's talk about poop. (laughs) Okay. Because there's a lot of crap on there, out there, right? There is. uh, About poop. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as you know, this tends to be one of my soapbox issues and, um, get on it, get on that box. (laughs) Honestly, some, some people want to hear it and others don't. So I've, I've supported a lot of families through this transition. I have my own three children who use the bathroom independently now. So I think that was a success. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I don't want to say that there's a one-size-fits-all for potty training, what we might call toilet learning, potty learning, potty training, my book, Toilet Awareness. I don't know. We'll put that. We'll put toilet awareness. That'll be linked on our website as well. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Whatever you call it, I don't think there's a method that suits everyone. I think that this is one of those moments where if you understand your child's development, just from the perspective of how humans develop, it can be very helpful through this process. Parents get so stressed about potty training, like they're going to ruin their child. Traumatize um, them for life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's stressful for me to see how stressed out parents are about this. And I think this, this is like they need to learn how to feed themselves. They need to learn how to put their shoes on they need to learn how to poop in a toilet. It's just a thing they learn. And it can be that simple. I think our culture has unfortunately been convinced, and I don't know how you feel about this, that there are signs of readiness. 
I think signs of readiness is ridiculous. It's poop. (laughs) Okay, so when parents come to me and ask, what are the signs of readiness? Or they list a few things and they say, I think my child is ready. I try and change the conversation to what are the signs of readiness in an adult who's ready to start this process? So I really think the signs of readiness come in the parent, not in the child. Oh yeah, I agree. (laughs) So I think there are signs of readiness. I think because it has to start in a calm situation. So it's when you're kind of over the hump of every day is a stressful day. You know, once you are new into parenting, you're overwhelmed, you're, you know, when is sleep going to get regular? When are we going to start solid foods? When are they going to start walking? When are we going to start looking at schools? Parents get so overwhelmed. So I think one of the signs of readiness is when a parent takes their first breath as a parent. So then they go, oh, this is kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the first sign of readiness. I think when a parent is ready to take on a routine for their child, and routine can be, you know, they're ready to, okay, well, we need to have a routine during the day. Naps need to be regular, and the times of day that we offer food need to be regular. When when they're ready for a routine, okay, now they're re- there's another sign of readiness, right? So these are the signs of readiness I look for in a parent before I suggest that they start potty training. Yeah. Parents often ask me, when did I start? I started at six weeks, and we introduced a routine at six weeks for using the toilet. So using a potty chair, whatever you want to call it. I tell parents to choose a word that they're comfortable with and stick with it. We started at six weeks. We were working with knowing that our children at that age have a gastrocolic reflex, which means when they eat, they go to the bathroom. So if you give an infant milk and you keep the diaper loose and when they're they're done nursing or taking a bottle, they start to wiggle a little bit and you just hold them over a little potty chair. They usually will urinate. Sometimes they'll also have a bowel movement and then you put just put a clean diaper on them and you move to the next part of the day. Children get, from that age, they get very used to being clean and dry. They like the feeling of clean and dry. So if they're not sitting in a wet diaper or a poopy diaper, the feeling of a clean diaper is their normal state. So they understand at some level that this is normal. And so later it becomes the expectation that I am clean and dry. So when we start that young, we're really just helping them understand the feeling of a no- the normal state of your body. Yeah. And so we're trying to help them understand that in many ways. The, using the toilet is just one way that we do that. So we're also trying to help them understand what is the normal state of feeling rested, What is the normal state of feeling full? Mm -hmm. What is the normal state of feeling hungry, right? We're trying to help them recognize a feeling in their body, and then we respond with the appropriate, just like when we know they're hungry, we respond with a bottle or by nursing. When we, they wiggle their body and we know they need to urinate, we respond with the toilet. Yeah. So it's really just having the appropriate response to what their body needs, and then they start to identify, oh, when I feel this way, this is what I need. Yeah. So it's really just a matter of basic needs. Yeah. That is so great. I, I remember one time 
when I was ahead of school, we had a parent come and look at the toddler community for her 18-month-old. Yes. And so our, our standard operating procedure was that the parent would come and observe in the toddler room, and then they would come and meet with me, and then I would answer any and all questions that they had. And I would go through, especially with the toddler parents, the toilet learning process. And our school essentially used, I think we bought toilet awareness mm-hmm. for the teachers and I think maybe even the parents. In any case, I'm going through starting to let her know how we deal with toileting. And she stopped me and she said, oh no, my child is already toilet trained. And I said, oh, that's so interesting. She's only 18 months old. And she said, yes, well, in my country, and she was from India, Mm -hmm. she said, we think it's actually really disrespectful to the child to leave them in their feces or in their urine. Yes. And I thought, wow, now that's a perspective, right? Because our perspective is somehow the child has this experience of being taken care of and in diapers for a couple to maybe several years, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we switch it up on them. Right. So it's unfortunate. So that moment of switching it up is usually, I find with parents, just in general in our culture, not necessarily in Montessori schools, but in general is usually about two and a half. And that's just coming from my own personal experience of how many families come to me and say, we need help with this. It's usually about two and a half. And I think... Well, this is the kind of worst time in their lives to switch anything on them. Well, and that's when we switch their beds. <laughs> right. That's when we take them out of their cribs. Yes. And we put them in toddler beds. Yeah. We changed so many things between two and three that it's hard. It's hard to be from two to three. I actually think as a parent, I think three three to four is harder as a parent. Oh, yeah. But two to three is really hard they're trying to understand I'm separate from you, but I'm also very connected to you. I'm my own person and I want to decide things for myself, but you get to decide most things. You know, that's what the, the young child thinks. Like, why are you deciding everything? I want, yeah, I want to have some say in my life. Right. And they're not saying that in a conscious way. They don't even say that with words, but that this they're overcome often with a feeling. I don't want to say what they're thinking because I don't know what they're thinking, but I know that they need independence. They need to be in control of some parts of their life. They show us this. Yeah. Yeah. And in so many ways, they are out of control because we take control because we have to. There are things as parents we have to decide. We decide what a healthy meal is. We decide when meals are eaten. We decide that you don't get to run into the street. There are certain things that we decide, but there are so many moments in a day that they can be in control. Yeah. And so helping parents, we often try and help parents of young children figure out what are all those moments you can let go of so that when you, when you do have to decide, they say, okay. Mm -hmm. And you, you get less pushback because, oh, well you, you take this one, mom. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. kind of what we want the young child to say is, mom, I've been deciding all day. You go ahead. With I'm this exhausted. One. Yeah. yeah. If you could just decide dinner, that'd be great. Right. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be great if they said that to us. <laughs> um, but to get back to potty training and 
when I talk with groups of parents about potty training, or I, often I'll talk with teachers about um, how to incorporate it into their classroom, because I think it's a difficult thing that each state has such different standards and what we can do, and but really trying to figure out how do we take what we know about human development and incorporate that into a child's experience at school or a child's daily experience at home. I think one thing I found from studying Montessori is that learning to take care of yourself is really important. It's really important in developing self-confidence and self-esteem and self-identity, like knowing who you are and what you're capable of. And using the toilet is part of that. Yeah. So when I've gone into a lot of Montessori environments and I see a child washing their hands and doing hand washing, which is a great care of self activity, and they're so focused, and then they're peeing all over themselves. And then oftentimes the teacher just lets it go. There's concentration happening. You know, I think this is a hard yeah, thing we, for teachers. We don't like, want to interrupt the concentration. We don't want to interrupt concentration. However, is it not also our job to make them aware of their body function? Is this not a care of self activity? How do you recognize that I have to pee and then make the choice to stop what I'm doing and go use the bathroom and then use the bathroom or change my pants, get cleaned up, feel fresh again? You know, I think in Montessori, I think that's a difficult moment to figure out, right? It like, is, which yeah. one? What do you do? I don't know. Every situation is different, right? <laughs> right. As a teacher, you, you do what's right in that moment and maybe you rethink it later and go, oh, I should have. I should have. And I it kind of depends on the child, <laughs> yeah. you know, and with the pattern, probably a behavior that you see over time with that child. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the beauty of Montessori. For Montessori yeah. teachers is you get to know each child. So you know that each one of them are on their own path and they have their own way to master their body. And so, you know, you as a teacher, you will take that in the moment. Now, as a parent, care of self is so important. And I think it's really easy since when they're born... You know, as parents, we do everything for them because they need that. And then we just keep doing everything for them as they grow. And it's really easy to not see that, oh, they could do this now. <laughs> this is a moment they could do for themselves. Um, so I think as a parent, because you're with them every day, it's like when someone says, oh, my gosh, your child has grown so much. And you think, really? I didn't even notice they're an inch taller because you're with them every day. You just don't see those little increments, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with independence and, and taking care of themselves. So I think as parents, we have to do like this, you have to do a conscious check-in. Like, what am I doing for my child that he no longer needs me to do? Right, right. And I think, oh, that's such a good point. It's, and it's, um, it was always interesting in our toddler community <clears throat> where we would see children be so independent and capable of doing all kinds of things, caring for themselves in the classroom environment. You know, they have to take their shoes off and on 10 times a day. You know, right. They have indoor <laughs> shoes, they have outdoor shoes. But th there's, a, there's a reason for that because they get to practice these behaviors yep. so that these movements become automatic and it no longer requires such effortful control, right. effortful attention. And But then at the end of the day, a parent will come to pick up their child and the child will all of a sudden just look at the parent and go, Ugh, and yeah. hand them the shoe. Like, yes. I can't do this. And then the parent <laughs> thinks, oh, my child can't do this. And we'll say, actually, your child can do this. Yeah. So the children also know in context, right? They're, they don't behave 
the oh, same absolutely, way in absolutely. every single context. And so in the context of the family, they can recognize, oh, here, my parents do everything for me. Yes. And then I don't have to do these things. But at school, I do these things on my own. Right, right. And that's one thing. Actually, I've talked with teachers a lot about this um, because they feel like I often hear a lot from teachers, if the parents would only do such and such at home, they'd be doing this at school. And there may be some truth to that. Yes, yeah. the more consistency one has in their life, sure, you know, the more we can follow through. However, it's true. It's so situational. I've had many conferences with parents where I've sat down and said, and, you know, we go through the list of, and they're working on the cycle of activity and their independence level. And well, they're using the toilet independently. And the parents go, wait, we haven't started. What do you mean? And so, well, <laughs> they come in, they use the bathroom. They use the bathroom when they feel they need to throughout the day. And they're like, all on their own? Well, yeah, we've been working on it since the day they got here. And I, I don't mean to say that I keep parents in the dark about it. Right. But sometimes they... You know, when they first start and we say, well, we do, you know, toilet learning here and this is how the process goes. Parents hear that, but they also, they don't necessarily hear that as you need to start at home, which I don't tell parents. I think, again, when you're ready, parents, you start at home. When I see signs of readiness, (laughs) I'm going to recommend it. Or you can independently just start it on your own. You don't have to wait for me to recommend it. Right. And um, if you're starting on your own, you're ready. That's a sign of readiness. That's a sign of readiness. (laughs) Uh, And so I feel like, you know, and I'll say, well, whenever you're ready, I'm happy to support you because I know that, you know, your child is doing this here at school. They're ready to do it at home when you are ready to take it on. And some parents say, okay, I'm not ready yet. And, and I really appreciate that honesty. I mean, there are times I say, don't ever start. And that would be right before you have a second or another child, right before you go on a big trip, right before you move into a new house, you know. Big changes. If like yeah. emotionally you're not in the place because it is hard work. The thing is though, it's one of those, it's, I kind of compare it to labor a little bit. Like it's such hard work when you're in it. But then when you look back on it and you go, oh, I'd do that again. <laughs> well, I think we're kind of programmed to think that. Like, <laughs> but I think body training does that too. Like when you're in it and it's messy and it's like so stressful and when is it going to kick in? When is it going to, when is it going to click for them? That feels like a stressful moment. Then when they're five years old and you go, oh yeah, potty training. Yeah. You know, been it, there, done that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the stress that it once was because right. I mean, it's that moment. One thing I did want to say about preparing children for potty training, often what happens is parents don't mention it or bring it up. And then when they're two and a half, they say to their child, we're going to rock your world. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to flip everything on its head. (laughs) That thing you've been doing for two and a half years, that's not actually what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) This is what you have to do now. And you know, I try and compare it to, it's hard. You know, as parents, there really isn't anything that compares to potty training. I think it's its own kind of, our, our culture has made it into its own thing. It yeah. doesn't need to be. It can just be a part of life. Yeah. But I encourage parents a couple of things. One, if they have, if they put a potty chair into their bathroom, whether they use it now or not, it's just kind of mentally preparing them by having a visual sign. Don't let your child play with it. It's not a toy. It's a tool. 
So I think there's always that, we always need to be clear about that line, that there are tools and tools are meant for a specific purpose. And there are toys, you know, if they have a baby doll that has a little toy toilet, which they sell those, they can practice and they can play and they can work out. That's a toy. Mm -hmm. They can play with that. They can't play with the toilet in the bathroom. That's a tool. So that's one tip for parents. But also if we think about think about the things we want our children to learn and, and do in life, right? We want our children to learn how to read. And I think you see that as a value in our culture from the first moment. Like how many nurseries are decorated with the letters of the alphabet around the room right. or there's art that like B is for bear or in, you know, there's some beautiful pieces that you see and you're like, oh, look at that beautiful cursive lettering. You wrote their name in that because you want them to see their name. You want them to know that that's a part of who they are. And I feel like with the bathroom, it's like we don't want to even talk about diaper changes because they're stinky. And, you know, like we don't want to talk about what happens. We just want to do it as quickly as possible and get out. You know, we don't even talk about we don't let them into the bathroom to see us because we're very private in that way. Well, I'd, that never works. <laughs> That never. I cannot tell you how many times my children tried to shove me off of the toilet to see <laughs> what you were doing, what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but I think like as parents, we're like, oh, that's private. I don't want to share that part. And yeah. then all of a sudden they're two and a half and you're like, hey, by the way. And I just think it's one of those things that like, like we put letters in their nursery. We also want to have a little potty chair next to the changing table. And we, what we do when we change the diaper and then you sit them on the potty chair, whether they go or not, you know, you just set them there just for a moment. We're not forcing them to sit. We're giving them this feeling of this is where it really goes. And when you're ready, I'm going to be here to support you as you do this. And we're going to do this. This is going to be part of our routine. Every time you change your diaper, every day before you take a bath, you're going to have this moment on the toilet because someday... This is going to be how you use the toilet. But for now, because you don't have that muscular control, because you don't have that awareness in your body uh, to stop urine from coming out when your bladder is full, we have the diaper. It's like the diaper is, is for now. And honestly, the diaper is for us, right? It's so that we're not doing laundry all the time and right. like there isn't urine all over the couch. And Right. But um, so we have this safety net for us. <laughs> until you and I can figure out what this routine is because this is what we're moving toward. And so I think that's that respect issue we talk about when we're respecting the development of their body and we're not asking them to sit in their urine or their feces. And the way every child reacts to that is different. There are some children that it appears they don't care yeah. that they're sitting in their feces. Yeah. Whether they do or not, I can't tell. It appears they don't care. But that I feel like so much of that goes to personality in a lot of ways. Like right. There may be a lot of things in life they don't care about. Right. They might really be able to let things roll off their back, and that might really be a value, something to value later in life. Right. When it comes to the potty training, it's not so helpful. Right. <laughs> but, you know, when they're in a stressful work situation later in life, that might help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That personality characteristic. But even, so you're still giving them opportunity to feel the signals that mm -hmm. their body's giving them and then to make choices and do movements that help them. Right. Help them to help themselves and take care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. So, what about transitioning from the potty to the actual toilet? 
Well, some parents start on the toilet and they don't ever take a potty chair in. I think if, the, if you're going to have them on the toilet, what they really need is a high, large stool around the toilet so they can have their feet grounded when they are using it. Definitely. Now, if you're doing this with an infant, obviously you're always going to be holding them. If you're doing this with a child that is walking, that's a different story. So the muscles in the body are ready if they're walking. Because the way our body develops, the sphincter muscles are ready to practice once they're walking. So that's, I mean, it does take practice. It's not, does not mean that they're going to be able to control the, the holding and the releasing right away, but they're ready to start practicing. They're ready to start on the toilet once they're walking. So we can know as parents that the body is developed to the point that they can start learning this. Yeah. So if they're walking and you're doing this with a walking child, having a very kind of stable surface for their feet to be grounded while they sit on the toilet. They really need to feel like they can relax. I mean, you need to relax to relax the muscles, right? So that's why so often we use potty chairs because they're right down there on the floor, on their level. They're most comfortable. A lot of parents don't like it because the dumping and the, yeah. you know, just the cleanliness of it. I get that. You know, it, it, it's a very helpful tool, a small uh, potty chair. But um, if you don't want to do that, they have seats that fit into the larger toilet and that works just fine. We actually at Studio June, our bathroom is set up with uh, an infant potty chair, a toddler size potty chair. And then on the regular toilet has both the like adult toilet and then it has a, like a toddler size ring. Mm-hmm. So you can choose either one. And we've got the stool with the sink and a stool at the toilet. So We have all the options. So you can try out whatever works for you. You know, parents get really stressed, like, which is the right toilet? I find that the Baby Bjorn potty chair, I've never had a child not like to sit on that one. Um, There's something about the curve of it. They got it just right. Oh, wow. Uh, There's no bells or whistles on it. It's just your basic No iPad holder. No iPad holder. no place to put your book. Let's just like get in and get out. I, I'm really, you know, parents always ask, should we, should we read in there or sing songs? I'm like, oh, you know, I hate to say never, right? Because I don't know what each child's situation is. I always say, try it without to begin with, you know, because you want them to sit and relax. And yeah, a lot of times they need company. So you'll sit with them. Try not to entertain them. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's about, about developing habits. Well, yeah, in awareness. So in, we don't right. want to distract them from the task right. that they're trying to do. I mean, right. you don't want to like pretend they're not on the toilet. That's why they're there, to learn how to use the toilet. So in order for them to make that connection, they have to start to develop some awareness around it. Yeah. So I, but there are children that, that do need a little bit more time to relax. So they do need you to read them a book. But I definitely feel like you need to start with the bare bones of let's just try the routine, give that a few days. And if you're finding they're still not sitting to relax, then try the book. But the book is not the like, we're going in here. We've got a stack of 10 books. We may just live here. Like, <laughs> I have a lot of parents that are like, we lived in the bathroom for two days and now they're potty trained. I'm like, okay. I mean, that works. There, there are, you know, methods. It can for works. some children. Yeah, it yeah. can for some children. I don't recommend it. Like, who wants to be in the bathroom that long? I, I mean, I are we eating in the bathroom? Because there should be no food in the bathroom. <laughs> but I do feel like, you know, 
I preferred to just make it part of our routine as a family. And there was never, you know, people ask, when were your children potty trained? I don't know. I don't know. I know that some of them took longer than others. Like it was all different times, but I don't know the moment. I don't know the day. See, isn't that interesting? But that's the thought process, right? It's the idea that, well, it should just take two days and And then, and then, and then boom, voila, all done kind of thing. And yeah. Well, and and the idea of done is different too. It's interesting. So many people ask me, well, when were they, because we do something called potty camp at Studio June. It's where families bring their child, and we do this with uh, children that are walking up to two and a half, maybe three. Right? They have to check in with me. I mean, that's kind of old to do this camp. The thing is, children do learn in community, and that's why we bring this. We think, okay, well, if we can have five kids together that are working on this, they really like to do what other children are doing. So they come in, they each have their own little potty chair with the picture on it. They have their own setup with the the stool to sit on, like a, ch- a dressing stool and a hamper for dirty underwear and a bin for clean underwear. They have the whole setup. Each one of them has their own. And it's my goal. We meet for an hour every day for four days straight. And it's my goal to help the parents get the routine. And I say, we do this. We just try. There's no expectation that any sort of urine or bowel movement gets in the toilet. There's not an expectation. The expectation is that we practice. We practice the routine. And you come in, you do the routine, then you play for a little bit, get that toy put away, you do the routine again. And we do this for four days straight. And I say, okay, now the expectation is you go home and you keep doing this. And they say, well, how long will it take? And honestly, if you full-on embrace the routine with a walking child and you embrace this routine for two weeks and, and it's just, you just stick with it. You're going to have, you're, you're going to see that progression. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to see what it's going to take to get to the next step. It, it really does take two weeks of consistency, making it your routine. Yeah. yeah. The, the more consistent you can be as a parent, really the, the, the more your child is going to be consistent. That's in so like everything yes. right? <laughs> in life, but it's, it's the same with potty training. So I tell parents that now being done or being potty trained is, I, I feel like there's a, there's a whole range. I mean, there is being potty trained, like they go in on the toilet every time I take them. There's being potty trained, they stay dry until I take them to the toilet. There's being potty trained, they recognize they have to go and so they run to the bathroom. Or there's being potty trained, they run to the bathroom while they're peeing. Right. <laughs> you know, like there, I feel like there's these progressions. And, you know, there's potty training where, you know, you hear the toilet flush and you go, wait, does somebody just use the bathroom in our house? And you realize it's this person that you've been introducing this to. I mean, there's a whole like range of it. So I don't, you know, when people say, when will I be done? I don't know. Every child is different and they take to it differently, but the more consistent you be, the the more consistent you can be, the sooner you will be done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that there, you're not talking about, we need to do really loud cheers and give them M&Ms and, you know, make a huge deal out of it right. and throw a party and invite guests. So everybody can, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have heard, I haven't experienced this firsthand, but I've heard from parents that they cheered so loudly the first time there was a, you know, elimination in the toilet that their child will, 
refuses to sit on the toilet now. It, like it scared them away from it. And I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that could happen. But, um, you know, it was the reaction was so extreme that it wasn't what that child thought would happen. And they 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 wanted to control not having that reaction again. I, I imagine I, yeah. I've not seen it happen, but I've had a number of parents tell me, like, we're coming back from that. So we need to reset. So that's like a whole other range of working, helping families work through potty training. But they really don't need the cheering. They can, sometimes they like acknowledgement of it. Like, yes, I see you have poop in the toilet. Would you like to flush it? Honestly, that's all you need to say. And they're like, yes, you've acknowledged it. I'm ready to move on. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, I love that. So, you know, and then the whole reward thing. There are so many reasons in many aspects, in all aspects of their lives, that we don't want to set them up for rewarding them for doing typical, basic things. Yeah, typical human behavior. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to reward you for, for things that I expect you to just do. But I also think, like, children are so intelligent and they know. Like, I don't feel like an m M&M. and I'm going to pee wherever I want. Like, they can sort yes. through that. Yes. I, I think, like, the M&Ms work the first couple times, but that'll only, that's like a trick you have in your bag. I would, like, I don't even use. When I do potty training talks with parents, I bring M&Ms and I give them to the parents. And I say, now enjoy these while we we have um, our conversation because you won't need those later. <laughs> <laughs> M&Ms are for the parents that you have those at, after you put your children to bed at night and then you get the M&Ms That's out, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. So, um, you know, I, I don't think rewards work in the way that we want them to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's, that's a, I'm sure there's a child out there that it would work for, but in a general sense, rewards don't work and they don't get us the real results that we need to help them respectfully move toward. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, like you said, the children, they're very smart and they have their own agency. So they, they're <laughs> going to make a different decision. Right. They'll, they'll de- decide to forego that reward so they can do this other thing oh, yeah. instead. Yeah. And so, and, well, and if they find that more rewarding, like I, yeah. I find, you know, running around the house way more rewarding than stopping to have an M&M. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to, exactly. The ho- yeah. hard thing to talk to parents about that though, is it's not a conscious choice. Like when children make those choices, it's not like how we make choices. And so it's not like they stop and go, Hmm, you know, an M&M would really, I really do like chocolate. Yeah. They're not weighing the pros and no, cons. No, they're not. They're not like <laughs> making a conscious choice. Like we do. It is like choice. That's like right. In a, in a, just, and it's, they're following that inner drive, yeah. whatever that inner drive is telling them, it's not what you're telling them. It's that internal drive to, you know, explore or and in whatever that moment, it is. Right. Whatever contextual cues that they have or whatever that they, yeah, exactly. It's not a conscious choice. And I think it, it's hard as an adult to remember that the children don't think the way that we do. No. They don't have the same kind of inner dialogue running through their minds yeah. the way that we do. I so wish we could know what their inner dialogue was. I, know. I mean, there's so many times when I see a young child and I'm like, oh, what, what are you thinking right now? Like there's, there's something, there's some conversation or story or connection happening. I so wish I could hear it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's why I do this work. I find them so fascinating. They are. They're so fascinating. And it's really, it is amazing 
what they can do at such a young age too. And I think that as parents, uh, we have to think a lot about our expectations, what we expect they can and cannot do, what our beliefs are about what they can and cannot do. Right. Well, there are so many things that we could talk about. And so I hope you'll come back and do another podcast because, I mean, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the floor beds and that kind of thing. <laughs> and I think there's so much that we could talk about. So, but thank you so much. Absolutely. For thank doing you for this. having this me. This was really, really enjoyable. Yes. And we should do it again. We will. <laughs> we will.